From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After an unexpected two-week hiatus, Florida returns to action this weekend to take on Missouri in the swamp. And while we know we'll see the Gators in throwback jerseys and helmets, we know much less about what to actually expect on the field. On today's show, we'll chat with offensive lineman Stuart Reese about how the team has handled the COVID disruption and how a Florida kid ended up at Mississippi State and then back in the Sunshine State. After that, FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter joins us to assess the state of the Gators entering a grueling seven-week sprint to the finish line. But first, when Stuart Reese decided to transfer and play his final year as a Gator, little did he know the curveballs that were in store. The cancellation of spring practice and a condensed fall camp would be tough for any newcomer to handle, let alone for an offensive lineman whose success depends on gelling with those around him. Even after clearing those hurdles, Reese and the Gators had to handle this latest bit of adversity, which he didn't shy away from when we spoke to him earlier this week. Um, this has been pretty rough, you know, being you know, being that we started the season and then, you know, you get going and you know, now you have to stop because of COVID and, you know, quarantine everybody for two weeks to, you know, keep everybody safe and now you're starting back, but I'm glad, you know, we have a team that's, you know, mature by situations like this and we've handled it really well. So, it's, like I said, it's been rough, but I think we, we've handled it very well up to this point and, you know, it's going to carry on into the future. So, what have you guys been doing? Like, for you, for example, when, mm-hmm. when you found out that, you know, practice is off, facility is closed, what, what do you do as an individual to stay engaged and stay focused when it would be pretty easy to not be in the right place mentally? For me, I mean, my biggest thing is, you know, making sure I keep my weight down during times like that and, you know, doing workouts and stuff to keep my endurance and the conditioning up. But um, I mean, for me, I don't really I've never really been one to never to ever really struggle when, you know, it comes to getting out of football mode. Um, Usually when, you know, football stuff like this happens with football, it's easy for me to just get back in, you know, regardless of whether or not, you know, my conditioning is there or not. My mental is, you know, always there and I'm able to just hop back into it and be able to, you know, do what I need to do to get back in football mode. Mm-hmm. When and you guys are used to, I mean, you're always lifting, you're you know, doing weight training. Are you like, are you at your place like lifting TVs and boxing? I mean, physically, <laughs> physically, what are you doing during this time to make sure you're, you're at the right level? Well, I'm a pretty heavy guy, so push-ups and sit-ups are usually good enough for me. So, Because, <laughs> I mean, if I do a push-up, that's probably bench press. If I could put that weight on a bench press that I would be doing during a push-up, it'll probably be close to about 250, 260. Wow. So if I can get, if I can get you know, 100 push-ups in and 100 sit-ups in, I think, you know, that usually keeps my, keeps my muscle endurance up. Hmm. As far as you said, the, the weight part of it, you have to be extra disciplined, I guess, during this time. Make sure yeah, you're eating right. Be, and, yeah, have to be disciplined with what I eat, what I drink, you know, how much sleep and stuff that I'm getting. So it's rough. It's rough, you know, being <laughs> that I'm a, I'm a big guy. So, you know, I like to eat. I like drinking, eat candy and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's rough, but 
you know, at this point in my career, I think that, you know, I'm able to handle it. We, we all we all struggle with the candy. And the, <laughs> I know we, we all want it. We all want it. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to wind the clock back a little bit for you. If we can go mm-hmm. back to the beginning of your story. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your family and where you grew up? Well, I'm originally from Fort Pierce, Florida. Um, both of my parents uh, born and ra- well, my mom is born and raised in Fort Pierce and my dad is born and raised in Gifford, Florida. Both parents at home, you know, humble beginnings. Uh, I mean, I had a pretty normal childhood growing up, so I wouldn't say that I had like a crazy childhood. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, once I started playing football, that's when the craziness started. So, yeah. um, you know, football wise, I played one year. I was always too big to play in you know, the Little League uh, league. So. I didn't play literally until I was in the seventh grade, played one year. And then uh, my eighth grade year, I didn't play anything. And then I um, started playing high school football. I did a year at JV. And um, after I stopped playing, after our JV season was over, I started playing varsity. Um, Funny story, uh, my first play ever playing in high school ball, I had to play tight end. Mm -hmm. So I went out, I lined up, and my coach called a timeout because I was so big that I covered up the left tackle and he didn't know <laughs> that the left tackle <laughs> was in the game because um, I didn't have I didn't have on a el- uh, eligible number to play right. offensive line. That was my that was my first play ever, you know, in football and then, you know, come off the ball, pancake three people and uh, <laughs> running back run for a touchdown, so First play was pretty good. It sounds like Michael Orr in the blind side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of one of them moments. And then, you know, my, my career just took off after that. So, so I mean, how did you get in? Was it like, were you just big and yeah, your I parents are like, oh, like, go play football? How did you go from being big to being, I'm going to be a football player? Um, well, my dad played basketball and football. My, both of my parents were multi-sport athletes in hmm. uh, high school. And then my dad went to Mercer University up in Macon, Georgia mm-hmm. on a basketball scholarship. And then my mom did um, – my, my mom played volleyball. And so she did two years at uh, Lake City Community College. And then she got a full scholarship to South Alabama. So I come from, you know, an athletic background. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, me being – coming in as a freshman, 6'4", 300 pounds, you know, one place they always have uh, <laughs> openings is offensive line or defensive line. So they needed offensive linemen. So that's where I got put in. Here I am now. Yeah. I mean, were, were you ever jealous of the other guys who got, to, you know, the receivers, the running backs? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you talked to some of these guys, some of these guys, they're, you know, playing five positions. They score all yeah. the touchdowns. Were, were you ever like, did you ever want the, the glamorous spot that, that wasn't available to you? Oh, yeah. That's always the case when you talk about football. I mean, Anybody who plays football wants to be able to, you know, have the glitz and glamour and, the, you know, stuff like that tagged to the name. But for me, I mean, it is what it is. As long as I'm doing what I need to do and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm setting myself up to get paid. So That's right. That's right. So you mentioned your parents being multi-sport athletes. Did you do any other sports or was football the only one that, that was right for you? Um, I played a little baseball when I was younger, but never took that any further. Um, played basketball and I, uh, I wrestled a little bit. So I imagine there was hard to find kids in your weight class for wrestling. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it was. Um, so it just got to a point where I stopped. Actually, I never, I never actually wrestled, but I did it in the off season to stay in shape. And you know, I would wrestle around. What I did, I start our biggest, the next biggest lineman was a uh, was William Davis. He was about 295. And then, you know, I would wrestle around with him 
to keep him in shape and, you know, helping him out. You know, me being so big, it helped him out tremendously. Mm -hmm. So when he was wrestling against dudes, you know, 295, 300 pounds, he was used to wrestling against me. And I think that year that I started, you know, sparring with him, I was about about a good solid 355. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of your your parents, obviously, you know, you had the – the genetics to be an athlete, but what influence did they have on you in your athletic career? How did they help you grow both mentally and physically as an athlete and a competitor? Really what they taught me was, you know, they taught me about, you know, working hard and being able to come in and be able to develop yourself and not, you know, don't talk about what you're going to do. Show it through your actions, you know, be humble about it. Don't get the big head, you know, Every day you go in, you work like it's your last day. And you do what you need to do to move forward and build yourself up. Don't do anything to jeopardize your future. Don't do anything to jeopardize your family name. And just, you know, be an all-around good person. At the end of the day, you know, it's paid off. So when when recruiting, you know, started up, I'm sure you're getting a lot of attention because big guys are always in demand. Yeah, Um, yeah. What schools were you most interested in and, and what made Mississippi State the right choice for you at that time? At the time, I really didn't – I didn't really have any interest. I, I mean, I know I wanted to go to a big school, but at the same time, I wasn't really, you know, worried about which one. I just was just making sure – my biggest thing was to stay close to home and to make sure that, you know, I was going to a place that was you know, uh, going to allow easy access um, for my parents to me. It was going to mm-hmm. allow my parents easy access, you know, just in case – you know, something went wrong or, you know, they just needed to be up there. But, um, I mean, other than that, I never really was – I never really was into the, like, glitz and glamour of the recruiting process. I'm a real laid-back guy. So, you know, all of the TVs and interviews and stuff <laughs> like that, I, don't know, I wasn't really – all the TV time and stuff like that, I wasn't really mm-hmm. worried about stuff like that. So what what was it that connected you with Coach Mullen? I mean, what you know, ultimately that's where you went at the time. So what mm-hmm. what about that relationship worked for you? Well, one of his old players, Jamar Chaney, um, he's from my hometown. Hmm. So um, Jamar called Coach Mullen and, you know, told him about me. And Coach Mullen looked me up. And, you know, one thing led to another. Coach Mullen called me and then they did a house visit, him and Coach Evesey. And I think I, w- I scheduled an official visit. And then after that, I committed. What were some of your best memories from your time at, at Mississippi State? I, you know, a lot of guys transfer these days. They have multiple stories yeah. to tell. Uh, what, what stands out to you from your time as a, as a Bulldog? Just the, just the camaraderie and the family that we had, you know, while it was up there. You know, regardless of what was going on, everybody was, everybody was tight-knit. And, you know, we just had fun. And, you know, we didn't really let every, you know, everything going on in the outside world influence what we were doing. So, and then, you know, some of the big games that I was able to be a part of, uh, we beat LSU when they were ranked number, whatever, uh, ranked number seven. And the game with Alabama, I think it was three or four years ago, but we almost won. So, you know, mm-hmm. games like that. And, you know, like I said before, just the brotherhood that we had. So when you made the decision to, to transfer to Florida, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why was that the right move for you? And besides the obvious of the relationship with Coach Mullen, why was, was Florida the spot? Uh, I was closer to home. Um, I think for me, uh, I wanted to be back closer to home for my final year. And, you know, uh, not to say that it was a, a issue, but, you know, uh, Coach Leach coming in, that would have been my third head coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just felt like coming back home was the best. It would have been the best option. And plus, like you said before, 
the obvious, you know, going to play for Coach Mullen, um, a coach that I had played for previously, that was that was a no brainer. What is it about Coach Mullen that that you connect with? I mean, having played with him now in two different places, what are the the qualities that he brings as a coach? His personality. Um, he brings a culture that you know it breeds you know players that want to win, that want to be a part of something great. And, um, you know, just talking to all the older players that played under him, he's, he was just a great coach. And, you know, he's just a good person. You know, being on the line, you talk about camaraderie. I think that's obviously important when you're playing as part of a line. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you come in as, as a grad transfer, end of your career, in a lot of cases, mixing in with guys who've been together, you know, for, for three, four years, mm-hmm. which guys did you gel with immediately that made that transition easier for you? I think, and you could probably you could probably agree with me on this one. You know, being on the offensive line, you know, I don't ever really think that you you know come in and not gel with everybody. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. when I came in, you know, playing offensive line for so long, you you know, offensive linemen are we were one of the most tight knit, if not the most tight knit unit on the team. So you know, coming in, I didn't have an issue, you know, getting along with anybody you know everybody on the offensive line you know took me in you know uh we started hanging out and you know talking on the phone and texting each other and you know we just started gelling like we had known each other for all five years that we've been in college so for me i I never i didn't have an issue coming in and you know being cool with anybody Hmm. well it's interesting too because you know we started this conversation talking about the virus and the virus the virus also impacted when you came into the program because you yeah. obviously were hoping to get in during spring and then spring got canceled. So what what steps did you have to take between spring, summer, all the things that were abnormal about the prep for the season? What steps did you have to take as a transfer that were different? For me, it was the, I think the most difficult part was trying to transfer, you know, not being able to go back up there and, you know, meet with everybody in person. Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, basically I left and never came back, you know, so um, that was difficult. And then, you know, being being in a situation, you know, down here in Florida, Florida was one of the worst states, you know, to be in when this whole thing came out. And so, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, go and work out because I wasn't, you know, able to have any access to any of the uh, facilities here on campus in Florida. And, you know, a lot of the gyms and stuff were closed down for Mm -hmm. just about the whole time that I was out. So, you know, I had to take it upon myself to do what I could from home and, you know, try and stay in shape as best as I could. So Lots of those push-ups you were talking about, right? Yeah, lots of push-ups and (laughs) sit-ups. At one point, point I started pushing my brother's car up and down the street. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what, What kind of car was that? It's a Honda Civic. Okay. I mean, that if, if you had said it was like a Hummer, I would have been worried about you, but I guess oh, no, Civic, no, no, no. Civic I was... you could do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I have, I have a, a 2007 Expedition. So oh, wow. uh, I did push that a couple of times, but wow. I had to stick, I had to, I had to go back down to the Civic because that one, it whooped me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do it together. I'll be pushing a Fiat uh, and you, you can push the Expedition. I'll, I'll push a Fiat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things I've tried to do with uh, with all the guys this year is get some uh, some pandemic picks from you. Basically, during the the lockdown, what kept you going? Uh, so my first question is the your favorite new TV show that you discovered during the pandemic. 
my little sister had me watching this uh, American Horror Story. She started me watching. Oh wow, that. That, that's a that's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah, she started me watching that because I I like I like like horror stories and you know the horror genre, so you know I enjoyed it. So did you watch like all of the seasons of American Horror Story? Mm-hmm. I didn't watch just... all of it. Okay, I didn't finish it, but it was intense. Okay, um, well now you, you've established you're a horror guy. What's your favorite horror movie? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I would have to say my favorite would be the Alien vs. Predator series. That's a, a, a hell of an introduction into both of those. If you haven't seen, I think I saw that before I saw either Alien or Predator, and I was like, "This uh-huh. is a lot." Yeah, and then I had seen all. I had seen. I mean, like, and for me, you know, action and horror movies are such a big part, and Western movies, really, action and horror in general. Because me and my dad, you know, around this time of the year. When all the horror movies are playing during the month of October, we would sit down and literally watch movies all day together. Mm. And, you know, during the day when my um, parents were at work and my grandparents were uh, watching after uh, watching after us, I would sit down with my granddad and watch old action movies and old Western movies and stuff. So I was one of those kids that, you know, like playing cowboys and Indians when I was yeah. younger. So, you know, those type of movies, you know, they just get me so excited. And then, you know, I was... Highly anticipating the most recent uh, Predator movie. That's one of my all-time favorite movies that I I'll probably have my kids watching that one when they get old enough to watch it. Maybe maybe wait a few years on that one. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till they're 17. But, yeah, you know, yeah. We will see um, how far they go. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you riding with Alien or Predator? Who uh, who are you taking head to head? I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to go with Alien. Alien's got a few more tricks. I feel like. Yeah, they got a yeah. few more tricks up their sleeve. Yeah. While we're talking scary stuff, obviously this week you're going to be playing on Halloween. Uh, I'm curious, the best Halloween costume you've ever come up with before, or maybe the best idea for one that you couldn't pull off, but at least had the idea to do it. Iron Man, like an actual Iron Man suit. That'd be a big suit. Yeah, either Iron Man or Batman. I could probably pull off Batman, but Iron Man, that that one would be tough to pull off. Yeah. I mean, you just throw a cape on and be Batman. Iron Man's a little... Yeah. That's, that's, that's too fitted. That's too yeah, fitted. well, people, you know, when you always get into the argument of DC versus Marvel, those are my two favorite superheroes, Iron Man and Batman. Okay, so again, I got I to gotta take you head-to-head, though. If you had to take one, who who do you got? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. They're both billionaires who fight crime. One of them does it in secret. One of them does it publicly. And there's a lot. There's actually a lot of similarities if you think about it. Yeah, me personally, I would probably have to go with Batman because he has Superman under his belt. That's true. Always good. To, always good to have a powerful friend you can call. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's anybody in the Marvel universe that's as strong as Superman. So no. I have to go with Batman. Okay, I like that one. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, you know, during the pandemic, during the lockdown, hard to, to maintain weight because there's lots of things you could eat. Oh yeah. I'm curious. Uh, what is the most ambitious thing that you cooked during lockdown? I smoked a pork shoulder for the first time by myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, my dad, you know, he went and stocked up on meat and, you know, they had some pork shoulders in, that he had bought. So, you know, he called me in, he called me in the kitchen and he sat it down in front of him and said, do what you want with it. I said, for real? And then, you know. <laughs> I, I looked up some stuff and, you know, seasoned it up. Um, I injected it with garlic. And, wow. And, um, 
put it on the put it on the grill and smoked it and turned out pretty good. That's impressive. I mean, I can't remember who it was I talked to uh, last month, but their answer was like burgers and fries. So you <laughs> Oh, I've been cooking that since I was like 6 okay. or 7. I think that was Kyle Pitts. I think his answer was burgers and fries. <laughs> so, you're you're taking it to another That's I think what you said is the most ambitious I've heard yet. You've set a new bar for us. Yeah, my mom, well, my mom taught my mom and my dad taught me how to cook, you know. I'm in a I have a, a rare family that, you know, both of my parents can cook. So, usually it's either mom can cook or dad right. can cook, but both of my parents can cook. So um, I knew how to cook burgers and fries at least by the time I was like seven or eight. You got some you got some valuable skills here. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like you would be a great person to be stuck with during quarantine. But I'm going to oh, yeah. flip it and I'm going to ask you, who is the one guy you could not have done quarantine with from either from the team or maybe from the O-line specifically? Um... I would probably have to say uh, my old teammate Tyree Phillips because we can both eat, so <laughs> we'll probably run out of food too quick. Yeah, there's got yeah either run out of food or just, someone's got to be there to say stop, right? Yeah, somebody if so, if nobody's there to say stop, the fridge is gonna be done by <laughs> the first month in. We gonna be we gonna be in trouble. That's funny. Um, what athletes do you most admire? Because I, I talk to a lot of guys, you know, like quarterbacks say, well, this QB or wide receiver. You don't really hear offensive linemen a lot talk about mm-hmm. their inspiration or the, the people they look up to. Um, I would have to say Khalil Mack because, you know, he's one of the dudes that is from my hometown, mm-hmm. you know, that got out and is doing well for himself. So I would have to say him. couple final things, getting, getting back to the field for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you guys sort of restart this season in a way, mm-hmm. what what are the priorities, I and mean, what have you really been focused on, both individually and then as a unit, as you guys have tried to, you know, cobble together practicing during this time? Um, I think the biggest priority is being able to just deal with adversity. You know, regardless of what happens, I think everybody in the sports world, you know, can say that this is one of the weirdest years that we've ever had ever in you know the world of sports you know with everything going on with covid and you know having to start and stop and some people not even you know having a season you know this has just been one big huge you know i can't i can't i don't think i can say that word on <laughs> you get what i'm saying <laughs> i i know what you're going for there yeah it's but, been you know it's been something with everything going on, just be able to roll with the punches, regardless of what happens. You know, if we have if, if we have to stop and play, just make sure that you keep yourself in good enough shape. So when we start back, we're able to, you know, get right back to what we were doing and, you know, just be able to keep your focus and you know not let anything, you know, make you, you know, fumble or stumble or fall and, you know, just make sure you stay focused. That's the biggest thing. Stay focused through all the stuff that's going on. Final thing for you. I know a lot of your prep has had to be virtual, probably with, with Zooms just like this. Yeah. But what have you guys seen from Missouri as you've prepared that's going to be you know relevant as you go out on the field this weekend? For us, for the offense, um, they don't run a very difficult. They don't run a very difficult defense, but they play hard, and you know they're going to do their job to the. To a T, you know, they're not a team that's going, you know, miss gaps and, you know, misfit runs and stuff like that. So, you know, they may not run the most difficult defense, but they do their job. So 
that's one thing that we're gonna have to we gonna have to make sure we on top of just make sure we're on top of our our assignments and stuff so that we can come out and get a win this weekend. Well, Stuart, really appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun hearing your story and, and learning more about, I mean, cooking. I mean, I, I know more about cooking now than I did before. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us and good luck the rest of the year. Yes, sir. Thank you. Save for the gap between the end of the season and a bowl game, a three-week break between games is unheard of in college football. Alas, 2020 made that a reality for Florida, and as we discussed with Scott Carter, the 2-1 and Gators are essentially starting what feels like a new season this weekend in the Swamp. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's rebooting, essentially. You come in and turn your computer on after a couple <laughs> weeks away. It takes a little while to heat up, and you know, Dan Mullen this week has said, you know, it, it's unprecedented again, keep using that word, Three weeks between games. Usually, if you have one bye week a season, that's your break. Uh, he's never had three weeks between games as a head coach. Obviously, these players and coaches haven't either. So everybody has had to kind of uh, reacclimate themselves to to the daily routine because for two weeks it was totally disrupted. And they've Mullen said he talked to the team in this way, you know. Let's be excited out here because we're back on the field. This is what we love. Bring the energy. Bring the passion. But understand we're going to build up to Saturday maybe in a little different way than we did the other games this season because obviously they were more in a routine. So it's really a learning experience for everyone. After all the curveballs of 2020, Adam, these guys have shown their resiliency uh, all through this and now they got to do it again in a different way because it really does change the landscape of the season because you've, you've had these two two weeks off since the Texas A&M game now you play Missouri and you're going to go seven straight weekends if everything holds serve and then for the Gators hopefully maybe the eighth if they can make it to Atlanta so it really sets up a grind of a second half of the season a little different than we thought a month ago when the season kicked off but this is, uh, this is what they have to deal with. Uh, they've got Missouri coming to the swamp. And I think as, as the game, as the kickoff gets closer, you know, they'll feel better about where they are and, and the preparation. And once they head on the field Saturday, I think, you, you know, it's going to be very curious to see what kind of team shows up, what the performance looks like. But I don't expect there to be any uh, hangover. I mean, I think by that time they will just be happy that they're back playing a game. I think one of the questions that a lot of fans have, it's a question I had when I talked to, to Stuart Reese this week, is what has this last two, two and a half weeks been like for the team in terms of preparation? So obviously the facilities were closed for most of it. You couldn't have practices, but you know there's Zooms, there's other ways to prepare mentally. Uh, you know, From what you've gathered, Scott, what's that been like? You know, how have they been preparing in a non-traditional way during this weird time? Well, a couple of guys had kind of funny stories, you know, because Kyle Trask, he said that, you know, there, obviously you couldn't work around the team. Your facilities were closed, so you do have, you did have to get creative. Uh, in, in Trask's case, I mean, he, he went outside and threw around with his girlfriend, uh, Gators softball player Jade Carraway, who's obviously a pretty good athlete herself. So that's one way he just tried to, to keep his arm uh, arm in shape and develop some uh, rhythm while he was out, uh, Malik Davis said he set up uh, some chairs in the 
in the living room of his, of his apartment <laughs> and just would run plays on what they call run plays on air where you just, you know, you got a ball and you're just kind of moving, doing your moves uh, as you normally would on a play. Uh, so that's one way James uh, Houston, the linebacker, said, you know, he would get outside with some trash cans and it put uh, like heavy balls on top of the trash cans to, to kind of emulate maybe a lineman and trying to get around blocks and stuff. So you, you had some guys being creative because they had to be. And, of course, you, when you're that age, you know, and you're feeling okay, I mean, fortunately the good news out of all this, Adam, is that for the most part the symptoms were minor for those who had them. And, you know, there were some guys, like even Coach Mullen, I mean, he he he, he caught it and, you know, he, he said his minor – or his symptoms were mostly minor. But – you got to stay quarantined for two weeks, though. So, uh, mm-hmm. so guys look to just to be active and try to make sure they didn't lose all their cardio shape. And, and also, they watched a lot of Zoom. I mean, that's one thing that technology has allowed throughout the pandemic before even this. I mean, they were doing Zooms all since spring. So they had regular team meetings. They, these guys have all access to scouting films that the coaches provide the position groups on their computers. So they certainly – did the mental part of the game kind of like they normally would. They just missed that practice time. And then for some of the guys to make up for that, they, they tried to just run the things that they, they could on their own. So it's certainly uh, – <laughs> they'll have some stories to tell, uh, Adam, as we all do in this mm-hmm. year. And the latest chapter has been these, these last two weeks for Gators. I'm just looking forward to the future. I don't know how far or distant it is, but it's going to be the – well, back in my day, but the, the day yes. is going to be just specifically this year and whatever weird thing you had to do to get through a certain part of your life. That's, that's going to yes, be the sir. new, uh, you know, back in my day, I had to walk five miles to get to that. That's going to be uh, this gen- my generation. That, that's, that's how we're going to look at this back uh, in, back in the in future. Back in 2020, yeah. you know, which uh, there will be movies and books and yeah. blogs and songs and well, we'll have this this year documented in a lot of ways in popular culture, I'm sure. Very true. Very true. Um, another unique thing that's come from trying to play a season during this time is there's a lot of players that are not available uh, because of testing, because of quarantining. And it, it kind of parallels in a way what we've always seen with coaches in college versus coaches in the NFL. In the NFL, you have to disclose injuries, absences, etc. cetera. Uh, otherwise, you're fined. And obviously, a big part of that is uh, because of gambling, right? They have to make sure that everyone knows who's Vegas needs to know who's in, who's out. Meanwhile, in college football, there is no standard of reporting injuries, absences, et cetera. It's up to each team's discretion. And we've seen over the course of, you know, I guess the last 10, 20 years, different coaches take a different approach on revealing that information. Well, now we have lots of players who won't be available because of COVID. And coaches like Dan Mullen have decided they're not going to disclose who that is. And I saw yesterday where uh, Eli Drinkowitz, the coach of Missouri, said, well, we're going to do the same thing. So there's this other element, Scott, of preparation for a game where there's this huge question mark. You could have, you know, multiple starters that aren't playing, and there's no way your opponent will know that until you get out on the field. Yeah, I think with the way this season's shaping up, Adam, I think, you know, coaches would almost have to have press conferences daily, maybe in the morning and maybe in the evening to <laughs> 
to update the, right. the available list versus the non-available list. So I understand some of the the methodology there. Of course, Gant, the whole injury injury news cycle is it's, it really is related to gambling. And you know, coaches in their world, it's all about any slight competitive advantage they think they can get. They're gonna they're gonna utilize and. Mm-hmm. So this the conversation turned to this has been another byproduct of of the pandemic and the and playing college football during pandemic. You know, it's one of those things. It's it, it keeps the blogs going. It keeps talk radio hot. Uh, for me, since I'm not a sports gambler, I'm not. It's not something that I follow or I'm consumed by. But you're right. There is a different philosophy with the NFL and college football. There always has been. Now with the way college football is headed with with gambling now going to be a part of it more in the future, I think, with even some schools. I know the University of Colorado recently signed an agreement with a, a gambling site. I, I don't know all the terms. But anyway, I just there's been talk about one day maybe college football will be forced to go the route. The NFL, it's not there yet. Coaches will have to adjust when it is there if it gets there. So it, it's all it's all been kind of fun to sit back and watch. And the one thing I've learned, I've learned who my my friends who gamble are. Adam, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're the ones who care. Yeah. Yes, they're the ones who really concerned. care. And the you know, those on the message board, the gamblers, obviously they expose themselves pretty easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's another added element to this is not knowing which guy is necessarily going to be out there when it comes to college. Um, you know, another part of this story right now for Florida, and it's easy to forget this because the news has been so much about handling the virus within the program. But the storyline before all this happened was what will Florida's defense look like when it comes back to the swamp after three weeks of subpar performances and then one obviously at AM that they cost them their first game of the season. And I know Todd Grantham spoke earlier this week and was asked a lot of questions about the state of the defense and what changes are being made. Um, you know, what can you share from Todd Grantham's presser and, and maybe the insight that gives us into this Gator defense going forward? The most interesting thing that I heard is that there really aren't any major philosophical changes. I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do and what they've been done, what's been successful for them. Uh, but Grantham's main message was they got to be more physical. They've lacked maybe that physical edge that they played with. Uh, the last couple of years and you know oftentimes when when a team has a couple of poor subpar performances like Florida's defense has you know the instant reaction is well get new players fire the coach change schemes that's mm-hmm. not the way it works in college football I mean <laughs> once in a while you'll have a, a coach get canned but I don't, I, there's never been any serious discussion of that with Ty Grant I mean he he's proven that he, he can be successful at Florida Obviously, they they haven't had the results they wanted in the first three uh, games, and they need to do better. But if you look back, I mean, there were some plays there to be made. They just missed them. So I think the message has been really got to be more physical. If there is, a, I guess, an upside to this layoff, they've had extra two weeks to really dissect some things defensively. And I know Mullen and Grantham has talked about that this week. And they didn't expose any like great mystery that they came across, but I think they, they saw some things maybe they can tighten up. And it's really about both of them said this, we got to make sure we have the 11 best players on the field at, at the time. So I think that tells me if you're a player, 
uh, you've got some opportunity right now to, to make your mark. Maybe you didn't get a lot of snaps these first two or three games. And if you go out there and produce, uh, you could get some more work for yourself. So it, it, I think, it's, like I said, more than anything, it's execution, making the plays when they're there, being more physical, and also some guys stepping up like to help in places that they've lacked. You know, like John Grenard, a guy last year, we didn't know what to expect, and he came in and immediately made his presence felt. Mm-hmm. I think they're still looking, hoping for some guys in there. And, of course, Kyrie Campbell uh, is going to be back this week up front on the defensive line. So that's certainly, you know, you're getting a two-year starter there. You're getting an experienced player. Uh, that always helps uh, a struggling unit. And we'll see if that shores up some things and helps the uh, other uh, other segments of the defense. You know, looking at, at Missouri, it, they're kind of an interesting team. They're 2-2 two and two on the year, and, and their results are sort of hard to parse. I mean, they lost to Alabama, which everyone loses to Alabama. Uh, they got blitzed at Tennessee. Uh, and as we've seen the last few weeks, Tennessee is maybe not quite – what people thought they were based on the the level of hype, but they're coming off back-to-back wins. They beat LSU in a really high-scoring game, and then they beat Kentucky uh, last week in a game that was you know very low-scoring, with their defense really really bowed up. So, what's your take on this Missouri team based on what we know about them in this very odd season that we're we're going through? They've certainly been on a roller coaster ride so far, Adam. Uh, Dan Mullen said this week that he actually put them in his top twenty-five in his. Uh, Amway coaches poll that he, wow. he does every week. So he likes them. You know, he thinks they're really good defensively. Uh, you talk about offensively what they've been able to do. They won a grinded out game against Kentucky, ran 92 plays. Hmm. They own possession for more than 43 minutes in that game. Wow. So, I mean, their offense just – they hardly were off the field. And then the offensively against LSU, what they racked up 45 points. So they've shown that they can score. They've shown that they can play a grinded out game. And, you know, if you look at this matchup since Missouri has joined the SEC, Adam, I mean, they've really given the Gators some games and beaten them a few times. And uh, they've been some tough games that the Gators have pulled out. Um, so it's going to be one of those matchups considering, you know, what Missouri is coming off of, a couple of nice wins. Florida's coming off a tough loss and then a two-week layoff. There's some intriguing elements there that, that tells you that, Saturday could be a, uh, one of those that Gators are going to have to play well. It could be a little sloppy. You just never know when you got a team like Florida coming off a three-week layoff. I mean, people have asked me this week, what do I expect to see Saturday? And to be honest with you, I have no clue. I mean, <laughs> I just I don't think Dan Mullen probably yeah. has a great clue at this point. I think he's hoping by – he said that Monday practice, they were glad to get out there. Tuesday practice was better. They're hoping Wednesday is sharper, Thursday is sharper, and they're hoping that they're really where they need to be by Saturday in game. So there could easily be some rust. Um, again, considering that the resiliency these guys have shown, Missouri has their attention. I think you'll see Florida be ready to play. Uh, but it, it, there's going to be some stuff to talk about after the game because of all the circumstances going into the game. Yeah, and, and another dynamic that's unique to this year is that Florida always has a bye week before the Georgia game because of all the issues that doesn't exist. So it's it's this game against Missouri and then the week after Georgia. And I, the, the jury is still so out, Scott, on what this season is going to be for Florida. But if it's going to be 
a season that you know has championship aspirations, obviously you have to beat Missouri, and then whatever kinks there are, you have to get them worked out very quickly because this Georgia team, as we've seen so far this year, appears to be another really, really strong team, and right now is the clear favorite to win the East, and Florida's got to very quickly get the gears going together the right direction to change that narrative. Yeah, I mean, as you, you know, there's never there's never much margin of error in the SEC. Uh, Florida lost its margin of error at Texas A&M. And then, of course, they had this layoff. And now there's really – I mean, the, they're going to have to come back. And you really got to think they're going to have to roll uh, – run the table yeah. to get to Atlanta. And so you get it – you know, a lot of people say, well, Missouri's a nice warm-up game. But you can't look at that that way because of, of where Florida is – and the situation they've dealt with the last couple weeks. So, you know, if they come out and, you know, get by Missouri, immediately go into Georgia, uh, that's – that. I mean, that's the game that we've all waited on all season. It's the game that a lot of people, you know, expect to determine the SEC's champion. It's not the build-up, to use that term again, it's not the build-up that I don't think any of us had in mind a couple of months ago, but it is what it is. and. You know, the, with the election next week, you know, there's no nothing going on Tuesday around college football. So all the teams have off. So the Gators will immediately, 7.30 on Saturday night, they play Missouri. You know how this works. After it's over, they'll probably leave the stadium at midnight or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll be back at practice on Sunday uh, for Georgia. So it is going to be a different kind of week. Um, but – by Saturday in Jacksonville, different kind of atmosphere. Uh, it's not going to be your typical Florida-Georgia game. But, again, and this is the way I've looked at this whole year, I've probably said it to you, Adam, already. The best thing about the 2020 college football season is really what happens in those three to four hours on the field. That's when every everything actually feels normal. Everything else, there's nothing normal about it. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it's a, it, it turns out to be the kind of game that we've all been excited about uh, all season. Let's move on now to this week's PAT. Uh, It's never as much fun without Chris here, but uh, hopefully Chris will be back with us next week. Uh, But Scott, this weekend, Florida is going to roll out throwback jerseys. Most people like the concept of throwback jerseys, but not necessarily. uh, they, They don't always agree on which one is the best, right? So I want to take this a little broader. This isn't even about just Gator throwbacks. I want to know best throwbacks, period, that you've seen in sports. And you could also throw in some of the worst as well if they've been revisited recently. Well, the the best throwback in sports history hasn't even happened yet, but I know what it will be when it does happen. It is going to be when the Chicago White Sox decide to roll out their mid-1970s uniform with the collar tops and the shorts. There's no way that anything can top that, Adam. And I don't know I, if I've ever even heard of that before. You need to Google it. You need to look at the Chicago White Sox. These are real uniforms that they wore in the 1970s. They are by far, it was only a brief period, uh, by far the best throwback uniform in sports history whenever they finally decide to bring it back. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm Googling this right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, those are bad. They look like... Uh, it looks like a, a beer league softball team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, that was Bill Vec, one of the uh, one of the uh, 
great innovators in baseball history, and some call him one of the worst innovators. <laughs> he was he was never boring. Had some hits, and also had some uh, not so great hits. But the, uh, uh, the the exploding scoreboard. I do know about the exploding yes. scoreboard. I would just could you imagine like you know next year let's say you know the White Sox in twenty twenty one say hey, we're gonna have a throwback weekend we're gonna bring out the shorts uniforms and he imagined the players and how you know how how they would receive that what do you think do you think they would uh, happily go along or do you think there might be some resistance they probably wouldn't love it um <laughs> yeah they're they're not great although I mean in fairness most throwbacks aren't good right like. I'm I'm a big fan of the Braves throwbacks. I love the the lowercase a. I've got yeah. a hat. I've got a hat with that on it, and they've got the, you know the script Braves like the with the the white and the blue sleeves. I mean, yep. there there are some I think are in some ways even better than the current jerseys. But then you have like the the Bucks old creamsicle jerseys, which are probably never coming back, or well, at least one can hope not. You know, it's funny you say the Bucks because I mean. I saw some stuff on a movement last year on social media where a lot of people wanted them to, you know, return with those creamsicle. But I remember being in Tampa when they were playing in those creamsicles and people were like, God, we have the worst jerseys. It's the, it's the classic when it's in and then they get rid of it and time passes. Everything actually becomes classic when you allow enough time to, time to go by. Uh, and you're right. I'm not – there's some – throwbacks that i've seen that are you like ugh, but like i love the gators throwback that they're wearing saturday i really do like that the blue helmet with the old f and Mm -hmm. the blue tops that's that's to me one of the best i've seen you know i remember last year's auburn game they they wore an older school yeah uh, jersey that was a cool one um college football you go back and some of the uniforms at your major programs, they've stayed so classic over the years, like USC and Penn State. Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame. Alabama. I remember seeing a, an old UCLA throwback a few years ago that I liked because uh, their, their color scheme is kind of unusual anyway, and it just stuck out to me. So, But like I said, the, the, no matter what the sport, I don't know if any throwback can top those White Sox. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Yeah. I always feel badly for the guys. It's usually baseball when they're wearing like the really old, like early 1900s jerseys that are, you know, they're really, they're like wool Wool. jerseys. They're so thick. And you're just like, oh man, I can't imagine having to play in those. Yeah. And then they started going to the kind of body form fitting polyester in the seventies. Yeah. And uh, the, the jerseys now sometimes like the, nobody wears stirrups anymore. Football uniforms, it's more its more about the equipment, you know? Yeah. Like the helmets and the right. pads have gotten so much better. Face masks, so you don't see as much, I guess, difference over the years other than as you have seen in baseball and even basketball. No more short shorts. You got the uh, – mm-hmm. how about the short shorts? How about yeah. – would you like to see like a 1981 Celtics jersey or uniform on the – I don't know, or on LeBron? It's like, a, like Jackie Moon in semi-pro. The Will That's Ferrell right. movie about the uh, the old ABA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, whether you're a, a fan of the jerseys or not, uh, the Gators will be on the field this Saturday against Missouri, restarting this odd 2020 season. And, of course, Scott will be there. He'll bring you all the action. Follow him on Twitter at Gators Scott, and his content will be posted on FloridaGators.com. Uh, Scott, enjoy the swamp this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Adam. Thank you. 
And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow Florida and Missouri at 7.30 on Saturday Night in the Swamp on the SEC Network and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Then be sure to come back next Thursday for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators. Gators.